This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Marketing Matters on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn. I'm the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing. Marketing Matters airs live every Wednesday from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and we replay it several times throughout the week. Americus is out this week, but we have a very special co-host this evening. He's no stranger to our show because he hangs around with Americus a lot, <laughs> and they do a show together. He's, uh, he, he's been on the show quite a bit and has a lot of interesting things to say. He's an associate professor of marketing at our sister school here in, in Philadelphia, Drexel University, Daniel Korsha. That's how you say your last yes, name? Yes, that's it. Oh, good. Yeah, I did the right. Perfect. Oh, it's great to have you back on the program. Yeah. Thank you so much it's for being here. It's wonderful being here with you. <laughs> it's great to be back, and especially now that you're here. It's yeah, yeah, wonderful, yeah. Wonderful. I never. I was always envious of Americus that he got to co-host <laughs> with you, because I know you do really interesting research, and you, you've written books, and people... Just in general, what are your research interests? Uh, it's on corporate social responsibility, and uh, and more recently on corporate political activism, companies that get involved in and make statements on political issues. So I'm sure America's is interested in that because he's interested in brands' identity yeah, and their political a of, identity. Uh, writing on it together too. Oh, really? Yeah, we've got some together. things going. Cool. But we're, yeah, I'm eager to talk about it too. And, oh, and that's exciting. Okay, so Daniel is not only a co-host; he's our last guest. So he's going to talk about his research. It's really interesting. Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, in the beginning, we at five o'clock we have Brian Berger. He's the founder and the CEO of Mac Weldon, and Mac Weldon is one of these new brands, digitally native vertical brands that have been opening stores, and he opened a store at Hudson Yards, the fantastic new retail center that's opening up in New York City. So we're really interested in talking to him about his experience with a digitally native vertical brand and then why he opened stores and why Hudson Yards. At 5.30, we have a person who's been on the show many times before, Sucharita Kudali. She's a principal analyst serving e-business and channel strategy professionals at Forrester Research, and she knows everything there is to know about retail and e-commerce, and we can find out what the latest trends are in online marketing and online retailing from Sutorita. At 6 o'clock, we have a very interesting guest, Jeff Kriesler, who's the editor-in-chief of People Science, and we'll discuss brand crisis prevention through company culture with him, and he also has a few things to say about, what's it called? Varsity? What's the the crisis called. They have a name for the, it. Uh, the admissions scandal. Yeah, the admissions scandal, but it's like Varsity Blues or something <laughs> like that they've named it. At any rate, and then at 6.30, we'll talk again. Daniel's going to be here the whole time, but then we'll just focus on Daniel and his research, and he's going to discuss what he's been doing in political activism of brands and corporate social responsibility. So it's a really packed show, and we're anxious to get started. Um, so let's jump right in and bring in our first guest, Brian Berger. Hello, Brian. Welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you? Fine. Um, we're really excited to have you. Very timely guest because everybody and their brother are talking about Hudson Yards, and you're one of the tenants of Hudson Yards now, right? Yes. We are part of uh, the floor of Discovery, which is the second floor, and we're, um, we were one of the brands that related, um, pursued uh, to help uh, 
create some excitement in this part of the shopping experience because many of the brands uh, like are Mac not Walden, exciting. Is that what you're trying to tell us? Are not, are not exciting at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we, for us and many, many of our peers that are there, it's our first uh, store or, you know, uh, our mostly digitally native brands that don't have stores or have a very, very limited number of stores. And for us specifically, it's our first door. Okay, so let's let's wind it back. And you t- first of all, I notice I just can't help but notice it's got your MBA from Columbia. I got my MBA from Columbia also. So when did you go? Isn't this a Wharton podcast? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But we don't have competition, unlike in retail. We partner with all our sister no, schools. No, what I was going to say was, you know, Columbia's like the the Avis of, of we used to say it was the Avis of. Uh, a business, a business school. I love that. You're number two. We're number one. Is that the so you guys try and harder? Warren, and Warren was a school that we admired. Was, <laughs> you know, my life immediately prior to this, I used to do a lot of MBA recruiting for the uh, company I worked for, and um, we recruited from all the top schools. And we always loved uh, talking to the talking to the uh, students at Warren. Oh well, very very sharp. We'll take that. Um, anyway, um, so you did other things, apparently, before you started Mac Weldon. But tell us a little bit about Mac, Mac Weldon, why you started and what, that, what that's about before we get into your first store. Sure. I started this company out of um, my uh, frustration as a customer uh, shopping for underwear and socks. Um, I hated the process. Um, the marketing was strange and didn't make sense to me. There were no brands speaking to me about things that I cared about as a customer. Like what, what do you care about <laughs> in underwear and design, socks? Design functionality, hmm. um, the way kind of brands like Lululemon and Nike and Under Armour speak to their customers about their products is very relevant in this category. And all the incumbent brands were out there with these kind of sexually charged, you know, lifestyle marketing campaigns, none of which really made sense or resonated with me. Um, and then the whole shopping experience of department stores and overassortment and choice overload and inconsistency uh, in the product because it was effectively being um, compromised to satisfy everyone in the value chain margin requirements. All of that to me just felt like it was really broken. And uh, one day my wife threw out all my underwear and socks. <laughs> sort of. A, and I had to go for that final uh, shopping experience, and the sales guy came over to me and said, are you confused yet? And so that was really the kind of aha moment where I had to go and, you know, really, you know, look deep in my soul and decide whether or not I really wanted to see if there was a business here. And I spent a lot of time. Now, at that time, you were, uh, you know, what a lot of people would have done was to open up their own store. But you decided at that time to go online exclusively. Uh, what fueled that decision? Yeah, so my whole background professionally was in consumer internet uh, tech and digital media companies. So I really understood the internet as a marketing and distribution channel for products and services and content. And so there was no question to me that this business was going to be rooted in e-commerce uh, and digital distribution. Uh, and so much of, of, of the category that we're in and the customer behavior and the pain point that we're solving for really supported that, right? I mean, these are products that you don't need to try on. People generally know their size. They're easy to ship. Um, They're relatively low barrier to trial items. So getting someone to commit without actually physically interacting with the product was a bit easier. So those were all things that really made it very clear that 
help to support my uh, ambition to make this largely a digitally native and digitally rooted brand. Um, so let me ask so the other question of that. So, okay, I buy that, you know, tech and all that other stuff. What do you know about retail? What do you know about producing product or anything like that? I mean, very little in terms of my, you know, formal experience. But I did have an experience in graduate school where my wife and a very close friend of hers started um, uh, conceptualized and, and commercialized a very interesting kind of tote bag for yoga enthusiasts. And we had it designed and manufactured and uh, imported, and we sold it through a variety of retailers and websites. This was kind of in the 2002, 2003 mm-hmm. timeline. Um, and so even though that was a very small uh, small uh, business opportunity, um, a lot of the lessons that I learned in helping to support that project uh, help informed a lot of the early days of Mac Weldon. Um, and so, but obviously everything we're doing here is at a much bigger scale and is really engineered, was really engineered for a much more kind of commercial and sort of scalable, investable opportunity. And so different in that context, but fundam- a lot of the fundamentals about how to think about product development and design and making sure we're engineering a customer experience you know, a lot of that stuff applied here. Yeah, but still, there was, uh, I mean, it sounds like it was an enormous shift even just in your life of changing from the corporate world to entrepreneurship. And now you're getting geared up for the next big shift, uh, moving in, you know, not, not I guess, away from e-commerce, but expanding the, the way that you talk with customers. Um, how did you, what, what first started getting you interested in even pursuing this idea of moving more to uh, bricks and mortar? Hudson, you're speaking specifically from, okay, now we're at Mack Weldon and we're yeah. thinking about brick and mortar. Yeah, yeah. Well, we always, from the day, from day one, we understood uh, really two things. One, that um, we wanted to put our customer in the, our product in the path of our customer wherever they are. Uh, if nothing else, as a means of trial and awareness and credibility. And we felt that the more places that we were in, the more of those three things we would have. Um, and then the other part of it was, you know, sort of aligning our brand with other brands that already had a place in the customer's mind would be, you know, overall creative to our brand. Other cool and brands, so when huh? Wa- <laughs> when we launched the company, we, um, we, we had a partnership with Equinox from the very early days where we were selling our product in their uh, gyms uh, which is one of the most requested things that guys ask for when they come into an Equinox is, is underwear. So we love the brand association and the synergy there, and we also love the kind of utility that we would be, be able to be providing for people who came in looking for that product. Um, Wait, we, can you just explain it to me? So guys go to a gym and they look for underwear? Why yeah, do I so, don't get so that? Most people, <laughs> most people, Equinox Fitness, which is, you, you guys know what that is. Yeah, very they trendy, shops, cool club. They have shops all yeah, over they the have country. Shops in all of their fitness clubs, and they generally have high-end, um, well-curated workout gear, right? And most of it is really targeted towards women as shoppers. Uh, now, see that I not, get all of that. Mm-hmm. I get guys, yeah. guys walk in. Guys walk into the lock. Walk into an Equinox shop for three reasons: they forgot 
their underwear. Oh, mm-hmm. God. They okay. need headphones or they need socks. Yeah. Those are three main reasons. See, this is the part I wasn't tracking. I'm very glad you're explaining this to me. Okay. There you go. So we love that. You know, we love being the brand that they would discover in this time of need. So that's what's made a lot of sense. And so my point in telling you all of this is that we, from the early days, um, just appreciated that even though we were going to be rooted in digital, that, you know, having as many relevant touch points with the customer was going to be important to us. And so fast forward all the way to where Wait, we wait, I don't want to fast forward. Let me just unfast forward because I just, because I, one of the questions I was going to ask you, uh, there's a couple questions I was going to ask you before we even got to brick and mortar, like, you know, how you figured out the fabric, how you figured out manufacturers. When you start out s- small, you've got really sh- small runs. And so the brings up costs and sometimes people won't produce your products. Like there's all sorts of headaches that I've heard about um, when you start up with a product. And then the other thing is, you know, how do you build your brand? Um, and it sounds to me like a huge brand building part for you was this Equinox thing, the Equinox thing that you really did leverage that to get your name out there. Is that, would you credit that with part of what your like head start was in brand building? It was a part of it. I wouldn't say it was the, the, the 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 um, the sole thing we, we had a multi pronged approach to getting our getting our brand out there. Um, this was a part of it, but but we had other things that we did that were uh, much more directly impacting the introducing customers to MacWeldon.com and getting them to become direct shoppers for us. Obviously, there's an enormous value in that direct digital relationship because then we have the ability to, you know, kind of remarket and engage customers over a long period of time through that email relationship. So how did you do that? I mean, there's like now there's so much clutter out there in these brands. I see maps of all these new brands that are starting up. It seems like getting through that clutter is not easy. That's why I thought maybe the Equinox thing was one of the ways you did it. Yeah, it's hard. I mean... So the landscape today is very different from what it was in 2012. Um, so I would say if you were starting something today, to, to break through the, the noise would be much more difficult. But when we launched, we were focused on three things. We were focused on PR as a, as a, as a, as a, like a leaned-into marketing strategy. We leveraged all of our personal contacts, and relationships to get product to all of the right influencers who we wanted talking about our product and writing about our product. And that did two things. One, you get direct, whatever direct impact you derive from a press story, but then you also get a long tail of content that exists out there about your brand so that when customers search on Google, um, they're seeing some sort of third-party endorsement about your brand, and that's helping to qualify them. That was the first thing. The second thing was paid um, ROI-driven performance digital marketing. Uh, from day one, we had a team internally. We were spending real meaningful budgets to acquire customers and channels like Google and Facebook uh, that we could track and measure and you know optimize over time. And then the third was retail partnerships, of which Equinox was you know was was the main one at the time. Okay, so that makes sense. And you found Facebook and Google were like useful in building brand. Well, it's yeah, it's performance branding, right? I mean, you're you're, you're measuring the effectiveness based on a very direct ROI. 
you spend $1,000, you get 100 customers, it costs you $10 to get those customers. They spend, you know, so it's very much looked at in a direct marketing way. But because you're doing it at scale, and because that's your real only paid marketing tactic, you're also building your brand through that channel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So and in the old days, it was like, yeah, brand marketing was this amorphous, you know, expensive thing that you did that nobody really knew the exact ROI of. And then there was direct marketing, which was like, direct mail and other tactics that companies were couponing, the companies would use to sort of create that sort of measurable ROI. In, in today's landscape, everything has really collapsed. And it's any brand that knows what they're doing, big or small, is really focusing on both together, right? Because there is no marketing. We spend, if a company like Mack Weldon is spending 30% of their revenue on advertising, it's all it's all performance marketing, direct marketing, advertising. It's also a gigantic amount of money about our brand that's out there. And everybody who we're trying to convert to buy something we're, is also have it getting a brand impression. So we're thinking about both. We're talking to Brian Berger, who's the founder and CEO of Mac Weldon, a digitally native vertical brand that makes underwear. And they opened their first brick and mortar store in Hudson Yards, which is exciting. Um, and he's talking about how he started building the brand. He built it through three channels, through retail partnerships like with Equinox, through paid ROI, digital ad advertising, through Facebook and Google. And then he also talked about public relations and influencers and trying to get influential people to write about the brand. And so when they wrote about the brand, what was the narrative? What was the hook? There's two, there was two primary hooks in the early days. One was product innovation, very product-centric, value proposition-driven, features and benefits. You know, these guys built a better mousetrap. And then the other narrative, actually there's three narratives. That's one. The other was kind of digitally native brands, which at the time were not as prolific as they are right now. And then the third, specific to the category of underwear, was this idea that I think we were covered in the New York Times when we first launched in the early days, and the, and the cover to the story was less ab, more flab. <laughs> and, and the general gist of the article was there are all these underwear brands using kind of regular guys to market the product, yeah. right? Not quite on the level that like Dove is, you know, was doing with their, you know, soap campaign and sort of use, utilizing all body types, but, but just not using that airbrushed, you know, kind of, romance novel looking Adonis, right, to market the product. In fact, we don't really, we try and most of our ads, the guys are clothed or at least have a shirt on. So it's not really about that. It's more about the fit and the functionality and the performance and the technology and the innovation that's in the product. I'm still really curious about the this evolution that from when you were first experimenting, or I mean, I know that you're still working, I think, with Equinox and J. Crew and Nordstrom. Uh, about how that's been evolving to the point where you said we're going to do this ourselves to a certain point and say we're going to open our own store. Um, can you tell us that, like, was there a a moment where you, you said you know we can we can go to this uh, this bricks and mortar model ourselves in addition to our online presence? Yeah, so we we've grown the product line 
um, over the course of time. So we, we have more of a story to tell from a product standpoint. And so that puts us in an interesting place of, you know, well, what would a customer experience be like if it was um, an immersive three-dimensional Mac Weldon experience? And so that leads you very quickly to it'd be interesting in our key markets to contemplate a very small footprint Mac Weldon retail experience, not even necessarily as a driver of the business growth, but more as kind of a marketing and kind of brand uh, amplification opportunity. So what do you think, and, what do you think can, that you can do in the store that or that consumers are going to think or feel that you're not able to do in the e-commerce setting? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, first of all, it, 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 it's the sum of the parts. Like, it's not, mm-hmm. you, you know, the more places people see the brand and the more ways in which they see it, the better it is for the brand, right? And so I think that is sort of indisputable, and we see that across marketing channels, and we see that across distribution channels. And so, um, so specific to a store, like, just the fact that you're able to show, you know, customers are now getting a multi-sensory experience around all of the products that we sell, right? They're not just getting, when we, when we, most new customers that come to Mac Weldon are seeing us or interacting with us through a very narrow lens. They see an ad in their Facebook or Instagram feed about a product. They click on that ad. They go to a landing page that is meant to tell them more about that particular product and then convert convert them into a customer for that product, right? So they're seeing us in a, through a very narrow path. So if you come in, you click on our Aaron and X underwear ad, you may not know that we have a whole line of sweats that are a best-selling product line for us or a really cool accessories line or T-shirts or what have you, right? When you're in a mm-hmm. store, you can come in you may know Mac Weldon as an underwear brand, but all of a sudden you're in there and you're like, wow, I didn't know these guys made sweats. So wow, when, these bags are pretty cool. When you say customer experience in the store, you're just it sounds like you're just describing that you can see other product. Is there any kind of tangible experience? Is there something – I mean, do people – you said they don't try on the product in Equinox. Do they try it on in your store? Is there something – I don't know. What, what would you do to make it experiential in the store? Or is it just about well, we seeing sell, the product? We do sell, we do sell products that, that – Again, don't require a try-on, but customers, maybe a certain subset of customers would like to try them on, like sweats, T-shirts, polos. Um, we have some, you know, kind of sweatery zip-up, you know, zip-up mid-layer jacket things. So those are all things that, you know, you'd certainly try on if you had your druthers. But from the standpoint of it creating an experience, there's a lot that we do there that that, you know, kind of is meant to... Um, educate the customer on, on on the fabric stories and the innovation that we're doing. And so we, the way the store is merchandised really aligns with how we talk about our fabrics and our products. And then we ground it in, a, you know, we have um, kind of an experiential kind of art installation in the middle of the store that is connected to the brand in a very specific way. We developed a customized game console oh, that, wow. is a riff, mm-hmm. that is a riff on um, a classic console game uh, with a Mac Weldon theme. And so customers 
uh, on a monthly basis uh, are able to compete for um, a prize, and the prize is like a year's supply of socks or underwear. Well, that's cool. Two drawings a month, one for that attracts me. <laughs> yeah, so we do we do one for high score and one for um, the lowest score. Random, oh no, <laughs> high score and and random drawing. Uh, um, you just got to give us your email address. That's cool. So let so me. Yeah. We are running out of time, so let me just uh, train gears a little bit. You know, there's been so much PR about Hudson Yards and whether or not it's going to make it. And and it's so far west in New York, but, like, is it just for tourists? Is it a good use of dollars? Do you want to weigh in on the whole Hudson Yards issues? You're going to say two things. One, just one, one quick pivot back to the store. Oh, sorry. The reason <laughs> Go why ahead. We were opportunistic about Hudson Yards. Um, we loved the vision we loved the thought process around the experience that they were building. And what we loved most was the fact that every single day there were going to be tens of thousands of our target customers walking through uh, that space. And so in terms of putting your product in the path of the customer, there was no better example of that than Hudson Yards. And so this was presented to us and we reacted to it. It wasn't necessarily that we were out there like, fishing for physical retail, but now that we're there, it's validating every assumption that we had, and we're looking and excited about the potential of doing more uh, retail activations like this. So that's that's just the sort of concluding thought on our approach to Hudson Yards. As it relates to, you know, the overall kind of commentary about it, Hudson Yards, aside from being the most expensive and ambitious uh, real estate development project in the history of this country, it is absolutely incredible. Um, everything about it, um, design, the layout, the experiential components, the vessel, the art center, uh, the fact that they extended the subway to go there. There's been 80,000 people coming in and out of Hudson Yards every Saturday for the last, since it opened. So, you know, it, as far as it being a flop goes, I would say people should cross that off their list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, I think, I think, I think there'll be a learning experience, at least as it relates to the shops and the restaurants, as to what works and what doesn't work. But in terms of, like, you know, a high-quality, high-impact, local, tourist, uh, commercial, residential uh, experience in Manhattan, it's going to be, you know... Uh, I think, a, a game changer on, on all of those levels. I have not been there yet, but I am so psyched to go see it. I really yeah. can't wait to see it. It sounds, sounds like great. a really exciting place. Brian Berger, thank you so much for coming on our show tonight. It's a pleasure to have you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. And if you want to learn more about Brian, you can go to MacWeldon.com or follow him on Twitter at Mac Weldon. Up next, Sucharita Kodali of Forrester, and she'll be discussing what she's seeing in new trends in e-commerce and retailing. And you're listening to Marketing Matters, and this is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you.